everybody. This is Paul Borowski from the Fat Pitch Podcast, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Clint Sorensen. And we don't have a guest today because this is another episode of The Dugout. That's where you get to hang out with Clint and I, although we're not in a dugout together today, Clint, are we? Where are you today, after all? Hey, I'm at home today. How about you, Paul? Looks like you're in the office. You're at home? I made it home last night. So this may be a rarity early in 2024, never to happen again. The two of us are not on the road. I'm going back on the road Monday, and I finally get to go see your Tar Heels play in the Dean Dome. So I'm looking forward to seeing you, and uh, I'll have to buy some Jordans between now and then. I got two pairs. They're both my lucky pair, too. We've been winning every time, you know, won a pair. I but I just think because we're it. good this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited for the Dean Dome, but back to uh, baseball versus basketball. I think you and I were talking, um, gosh, just the other day, as we get into the new year, I was thinking about my holiday season and digging out of it. My favorite drinking game this year, and I know I'm too old for that stuff, was how many rate cuts is the Fed going to, uh, you know, put through in 2024? And I don't know about you. I looked towards the end of the year when the you know things were selling off, and the betting futures were six, six rate cuts with a March cut. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, right now it's the Fed futures are saying a 50% chance of a cut in March. But, you know, it's interesting. I think the Fed over-tightened. I think they realized they over-tightened, yeah. especially as inflation came down so rapidly, which is a lot of base effects, right? And then what they did was they opened up the ability to ease through communication in the market because the dot plot went down, right? The central tendency went down to show yeah. three rate cuts yeah. on the dot plot. Three 25 basis point rate cuts, to be specific. When yeah, that 75 dot, total. That's right. When that dot plot changed, the market just went crazy. And of course, you know, in the short term, probably went a little overboard. Uh, and you've seen that, right? Rates have come back up to start the year. But yeah, they started betting on it. Hey, Clint, thank goodness, though, that that yield curve. But I just look at the two to the 10. As you know, I don't care much about the 30 where I sit. But I mean, we were 120 basis points inverted, and now we're about 20. So to me, that's a lot better than where we were. Even if we dove too far and we came back up a little, and now we're kind of hanging around, let's just call it four on the 10 and 420. And I didn't look this morning. I got in late last night. Yeah. I mean, look at the problems the banks had last year. I mean, we had bank failures. Some of the biggest bank failures in history happened in 2023. And that's hard to imagine when you had a lot of the AI craze and the MAG7 running up and all the different things, right? The S&P having a great year, NASDAQ having a great year. But essentially, if you look at the underlying fundamentals of our credit system and our banking system, it was a tumultuous year. So the Fed was way too tight. I mean, the fastest uh, hiking cycle in history, and that includes the bulk year. So think about it. This wasn't a run-of-the-mill gradual tightening cycle. This was a very aggressive tightening cycle. And I think all Powell did, which was right, was say, hey, we're probably too tight. Real rates are high. We're going to open up the door for rate cuts. And if you look at the economic situation, it kind of got downgraded, right? We're seeing growth continue to slow, and it looks like first quarter, second quarter, going to be potentially uh, flat to negative on a quarter over quarter basis. So I think the Fed just did the right thing, you know, opened up the door 
to for being able to provide rate cuts. So I do think they'll cut rates. I think they'll cut rates. I hope they cut them in March, but I think they'll probably wait till the third quarter, just because of the way data is reported. And you're not seeing a lot of weakness in unemployment. Hey, you don't. You, whoa, whoa, whoa! You don't think May is on the table? I mean, I think it's more likely they cut in the third quarter, right? They automatically started walking oh, wow. back. I mean, it could, anything could happen. I think it, a lot depends on how fourth quarter GDP gets reported. We did see some trouble employment, the household survey, right? 638,000 jobs lost in the yep. household survey. So we are starting to see some cracks, but the labor market's still relatively tight. It's and terrific. you're just not seeing the data yet that they need to kind of, in my opinion, to give them political clearance to start cutting rates. So I think you need to have some growth deterioration in the consumer we continue to see just remains as resilient as possible. Even though delinquencies are rising on a year-over-year basis on credit cards and credit card usage is at all-time highs, uh, look, they continue, spend, down, pal. they continue to spend I walk money. around Dallas and it's even hard for me to get a reservation on a Friday or Saturday night. I mean, what are you talking about? So I think one thing we know about America is the government, businesses, and the individual consumer are still gold medalists at spending money. Oh, that's Whether the... They have it, Speaking of the government spending, I just we talked about this, I think, on our last dugout episode, but it is profound. Our deficit's already 50% over where it was last year. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is nuts. Like, we're running amazing, de- unprecedented deficits when you look at where we are from an employment perspective. So, yeah, yeah I mean, this is just the world we live in. I think it's prolong- it prolongs. In one sense, it condenses the cycle, meaning you get more cyclical upticks in inflation and upticks in growth, followed by hawkish Fed, which creates more downdrafts. You get more cyclical fluctuation, but it does kind of lengthen the long-term cycle where you don't really – it's almost like we're Australia. You might not hear the word recession announced. Who knows, right? But I do think you get a lot of – you do get more cyclical variation and more policy volatility. And uh, I think that opens up the world of opportunities in a lot of asset classes. Yeah, which brings me to, I wrote down three things to talk to you about today, but I will just close that section by telling you we heard higher for longer for all the last year. My theme now is lower will be slower uh, than what <laughs> yeah. folks are thinking. And I, and I might have to refine that. So, you know, given that, everybody's doing their prognostications the last couple of weeks, right? And I was thinking about last year's prognostications. The biggest one everyone got wrong was China. Remember all the pundits at the beginning of 23 saying to invest in China? What a colossal train wreck. Still, look at this year. It's even starting off the year crazy. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what are you hearing from kind of the masses or the professionals? And what's kind of your opinion? What do you think we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, the I think the fat pitch trades or investment thesis. I think first of all, the fat pitch, and I think Nick said Nick Fusco said this in our call is to have duration in mm-hmm. your viewpoint, right? Keep it long term. Yeah, he did. I think being long term yeah. is a bigger edge than ever before. I mean, I think it's hilarious. We go out and we try to predict calendar year returns. I think we got to zoom out. Since the Fed started started hiking rates, since the start or the end of the growth cycle, which was the end of 2021, and honestly, mm-hmm. the highest valuations we'd ever experienced in the U.S. by many measures, uh, deepest risk pre- negative risk premium when you look at the S&P 500 compared to bonds, all of that kind of materialized in 2021. When you look at that period of time, as marking that as the end of the cycle, when the Fed started communicating they were going to raise rates, start to fight inflation, et cetera, cash has outperformed 
from December, if you look at just 2021 through 2023, end of last year, cash outperform stocks. It was the right place to be, right? If, that's hard to believe because what happens that's is you had, yeah, yeah. Like, like stocks tanked in 2022, right? Especially the NASDAQ. And then they ran up. And I read an, a quote by Dr. John Hussman. If you, I mean, he's brilliant from a valuation perspective, okay. but he said something. He said the mm-hmm. market's two years in a long journey to nowhere. The S&P 500, not the market. The S&P 500, which is in this long road to nowhere where essentially the best returns it's going to experience are when it tries to catch up to cash. And I thought, well, that's exactly what yeah. happened. It deviated so far from cash to downside and it ran up really fast well, to catch back up. For a sense of clarity, let's really talk about the S&P 493 (laughs) versus the S&P 7. And you're talking to a guy that before he got into commercial real estate, multifamily, then industrial, was, as you know, with a momentum growth manager in New York City during the first dot-com bubble. So I think I've told you stories before about being a young 20-something wholesaler going around big Merrill Lynch offices, marquee ones, and watching like the Pets.com IPO and selling funds with Juniper Networks and JDS Uniphase and Global Crossing. And really, I got it used to sky-high valuations, Clint. It's kind of funny, fast forward. I would argue that Chewy is the same business that Pets.com was, just maybe run a little better, we hope. But really... You get AI and you staple it on it anywhere, right? There's your seven and there they are. Or you could be like a young man I know that left the company four years ago and left half his 401k and NVIDIA and has never taken profits. (laughs) I mean, it really is amazing. I saw Apollo did this chart and it was fascinating. And it said that the MAG7, which are Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Tesla, and I forget the other two, but the big companies, right? The Magnificent Seven, they are now have more market cap than UK, Japan, and Canada's equity markets combined. Crazy. That is- I got to go find that. That's a staggering statistic. But yeah, I mean, I think everybody's just myopically focused on this index and it's the wrong index. And I think a lot of people, they're going to miss where the opportunities are. I always think where has, in this Fed rate hike cycle, where has price discovery been the most profound? That's where the fat pitches sit. They're not sitting in the safe plays. They're sitting in, you know, think about what's been hit, real estate, commercial real estate. Been a lot of it's been decimated and there's still more pain there because of a lot of the debt rolls. Banks have been decimated. Emerging yeah. markets. You mentioned China. A lot of emerging markets have been decimated. There's been price discovery. It just hasn't been in the S&P 500, which is dominated by really seven names. Like you mentioned, the S&P 493. I mean, there are so many opportunities now, and there will be, continue to be so many opportunities as long as the Fed stays overly tight because of credit contraction that I'm almost giddy. And I think I'm really looking forward to our fat pitch guest this year because I think we're going to hopefully unpack a lot of these. And I mean, you start to think about globally, how do things shift with policy response now? Deglobalization was something that was a theme on our first season of the fat pitch, talked a lot about it. When you think about all these rising cost regimes and rising geopolitical conflict, what happens? What does that result in? And I tell you, I remember Tom Holliday talking about the supply constraints on a lot of key commodities and how he was betting on it from a thematic approach. 
I think those are some areas too. I think there's a, a I think the fat pitches are going to not look like the S and P 500 or the AI craze. Not saying anything wrong with those, but I do think they'll look more old world going forward. And I'm really excited about unpacking. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, that goes back to investment managers, folks with disciplines, and being able to find themes and then find examples that support those themes, which. You know, when I grew up, at being in my mid-50s, it's, I went and looked for snipers that were good at certain things, and you put those folks together. And, you know, it's been, for those of you that like our podcast, we slowed down on recording. As Clint knows, I had a few medical procedures on my eye, a few rounds of chemotherapy. I looked at the end of it like Evander Holyfield in his prime had just pounded me for 12 straight rounds. So we look forward to having a robust calendar of guests and really building up this library of fat pitch folks. And Clint, kind of wrap up this episode of the dugout about with uh, my wife's favorite topic of conversation. So I never bring it up at home and that's politics. I was doing a conference in St. Petersburg, Florida this week where I froze my butt off. I thought I escaped Dallas when it hit teens or lower. It was 40 for a low in St. Pete. So I sat in my room every morning and watched CNBC from Davos. And I got to tell you, it seems like everybody there, including the CEOs, are getting ready for a Trump presidency. Trump part two. That will, uh, you know, you and I are both kind of apolitical. We look at what's the effects and cause, et cetera. But you got any comments? Because I'll tell you what, if I see Trump, I believe deglobalization is part of that. Yeah, I mean, the rise of populism, and you can't deny his base. It's massive. And at the end of the day, we just don't have, in my opinion, you know, great options. But I'm a libertarian at art, so I'm kind of a coward when it comes to this stuff. I stay political. I believe Montana. Montana's (laughs) the big libertarian state. That's where I'm hoping to spend my summers as I age. And then, you know, I got a campaign slogan out there. I told you I'm getting mugs made. It says 2024, anyone under 80 years of age. Yeah. I mean this is just baffling to me that in this greatest nation on the planet you know, the joke I heard the other day is one guy could be in jail and the other one might be asleep. I just I have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I don't I imagine there will be a surprise on the Democratic side, though. I mean, the the it's hard to imagine our president running again um, in his current physical state. Right. It's just uh, it, it seems it seems a stretch. Well, neither are you or I. Neither of us are conspiracy theorists. We're just kind of sitting down saying, hey, if I was sitting around my house at the holidays and I had all my older aunts and uncles over, who would I pick to go play touch football with me? <laughs> right? yeah. So probably neither for me. I'm selfish. I'd say one's going to hurt himself and the other's going to cheat. You know, it's funny, though. I think one of the things that's resonating to your slogan, which is the anybody under 80 thing, which I love. And I think it strikes a lot of Americans on both sides of the aisle, especially individuals who follow the money like me. You know, I think I'm not going to go as far as say it's corrupt, but it's absurd. And both sides are guilty of it. How these, and I think this is why the base is so strong for Trump because he's, you know, his slogan was, I'm going after the quote unquote deep state. I'm an outsider. Yeah, I'm I'm not a politician. politician. I'm a drain the swamp. And I think a lot of people are sick of seeing these politicians go in broke and come out worth $60 million as public servants, you know, allowed to trade <laughs> stocks with insider information. It's just, they live by a different set of rules. 
Yeah, the whale, whale wisdom. The yeah, of course. I mean, this yeah, is the one who just quotes, quotes Pelosi's trades. He quotes Republicans' <laughs> yeah. trades too. I was like, wow, some of these guys are really good options traders. Go figure. <laughs> it's amazing how good their performance so I has think been. We got a lot to unpack this year. I'm, Clint, I'm looking forward to just a ton of great guests this year. And, um, you know, it's been a heck of a start to the year in January. So, listen, everyone, thanks for tuning in uh, to the dugout. Now you know what Clint and I do. We really don't have much fun. We end up talking about money and politics and <laughs> a little bit of Tar Heel basketball and some Penn State football if it's me and some Arsenal soccer behind me. But thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the dugout. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Fat Pitch. Dear Paul.